0: Xavier Reese reminds us of the role of repentance in the church. The word repent means a change of mind about God and
1: what you're doing, how you're living. You acknowledge your sin, you confess your sin, you abandon your sin, and if possible, make restitution. But those are the characteristics of repentance. Without that, you have not turned from darkness to light. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, first Peter 4:17. Judgment begins
0: with us. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. For a lot of Christians, their faith is based on a day of the week. But Pastor Xavier reminds us that our faith should dictate how we live day in and day out. Today, as we return to the book of Revelation and our visit to the city of Pergamum, we learn the simple truth about what happens to the believers who let the world dictate their relationship with the Lord. Let's listen.
1: Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through 17, and the message entitled, The Worldly Church, Pergamos. This is a church that married comfort, riches of the world, in order to be exalted, trusting the arm of flesh, thereby becoming insensate to the things of God, becoming spiritually deaf and blind. And there are a lot of people like that today. I challenge you to examine... Who you are, where you fellowship, what is being taught, what is being compromised. Both from your lifestyle and from the pulpit. In verse 12, you have the proclamation. Notice. The identity of the recipient of the letter, again, is the angel of Pergamos. Angel, again, the messenger, talking about the pastor, the minister, not an angel, literally. The context, again, determines that. And the word Ecclesia, again, called out of the world, out of darkness, the marvelous light, 115 times appears in the New Testament. Uh, The people are the church of Jesus Christ, not buildings. Notice, secondly, comes a commendation, verse 13. Jesus knew that they were doing what they were doing and what they had done in the past. Nothing new. Jesus knew the place they dwell. Listen. It was Satan's throne. Look at verse 13. Underline that. Satan's throne. The period of church history, 313 to 600 AD. We already saw Satan's synagogue in Smyrna. 100 to 312. Now it's his throne. That's where he dwells. In the church. He has now established his throne, his stronghold in the midst of the church. Caesar worship was followed passionately. The city boasted of being the official temple sweeper of Caesar's temple. Now notice Jesus knew they were holding fast to his name and not denying his faith in the midst of persecution. So if he's talking to the few that are being faithful in the midst of this corrupt church, okay? They were not denying his name. And faith in his name under the pressure of persecution. So that's why the commendation here. Faithful are those who confess Jesus and do not deny the faith. For them, the sword of judgment dispels all fear. But to the one who denies the faith, the sword should instill fear. It is required that a steward be found faithful. 1 Corinthians four two. So this was the Commendation, to Pergamus, for the few. Notice, fourth, we have the condemnation now, fourteen and fifteen. The church of Pergamus had those who held the doctrine of Balaam, verse fourteen. The word but marks the sharp contrast between those who were commended, now those who are condemned. Okay. Jesus charges them with tolerating sin by being in fellowship with those who embraced the doctrine of Balaam in their practices. As you know, Balaam was a prophet, a god. Numbers 22 to 25 tells us that. Who was called by King Balak to curse the children of Israel because they were walking through the land like like an ox licking up the dust, conquering everything. So he freaked out. Uh, so he called Balaam, sent his advisors and everything to try to hire him. But Balaam refused the first time they came to him. And uh, the second time they came back with greater honors, greater reward. And and so he said, I can't go unless the Lord tells me. So he says, be here and tomorrow if the Lord tells me, I'll go with you. But in the morning we read that Balaam was gone already. So apparently the band came, Balaam then waited because the enticement of the greater reward caught him. And so he went with them. Next thing we see is Balaam was on his way. And the angel of the Lord stood in the midst of the path. And as he's riding on his little donkey, the angel of the Lord is ready to wipe him out. And the donkey sees him. So he goes off the road and he beats his donkey, gets him back on and so on and so forth. And finally the donkey sees he's going to get killed. So he smashes him up against the wall, crushes his leg. Balaam begins to beat his donkey. And the donkey turns around and says, Hey, am I not the donkey you've had since I was young? Have I ever known to do something like this? Now, what shocks me is not that the donkey spoke. It's that Balaam talked back to the donkey. He said, I wish I had a sword. I'd kill you right here. And the Lord opened his eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord. Okay, I'll go back. No, no, no. And so the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ says, go ahead. But you can say nothing except what I tell you. And so when he got there, as you know, Balaam took him to different sites and, and, and he wanted to curse him. But he ended up blessing him all the time. In fact, Balaam gave one of the most amazing prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Finally, the last, you know, Balaam Bala just clapped his hands. He said, stop, stop. I called you to curse him and all you do is bless him. He says, well, God has blessed. I can't curse. Whoa. But in Numbers 25, 1 through 5 and thirty-one fifteen. We read that Balaam advised Balak about a way to stumble the children of Israel. I can't curse them, but this is how they can mess themselves up. You take your young girls and you send them into the camp of the Israelis. And, 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 and let them invite them to come in one of their worship services of their pagan gods. So they can teach them how they worship sexually. You see, all the, all the majority of worships of the Old Testament, of the pagans, were, were, were sexual right worships. And as, as Moses was there with Joshua and Phineas, and this young Hebrew guy has walks right in front of them, between them, with a sweet, wiggly thing. They go into a tent, and they go at it. And Phineas was so outraged, he grabbed his lance, his javelin, and thrust them both through. And God blessed Phineas because of his zealousness for God. But notice by eating things sacrificed to idol in verse 14 and committing sexual immorality. They both go together. You start eating of the world's table. Pretty soon you'll be in the bed of the world. And so Peter says that those who follow the way of Balaam have forsaken the right way because they have loved the wages of unrighteousness. Jude warns of the error of Balaam that is for profit. And he uses a strong warning from the Old Testament, Second Peter two fifteen, and Jude is only one chapter, verse eleven. But you have the warning all throughout Deuteronomy twenty three four, Joshua thirteen twenty two, and many many others. Paul encountered the same problem in Corinth in First Corinthians five, chapter seven, chapter nine. The young man was sleeping with his stepmother. Downright, downright, sin. But then also the Corinthians were involved in eating of meats and fornication with the idol temples of before. Paul says, what are you doing? Some of you perhaps are in an adulterous relationship and you still come to church. Now I'm glad you're here. But I hope you hear the last line, repent. The believer is not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. In boyfriend or girlfriend or job relationships of different lifestyles if you are dating a boy or a girl with a non-believer you need to repent and break it off you're in business with a partner that's a non-believer you're going to eat it big time because they're not going to obey the laws and the rules and the more government tries to pressure you the more they're going to want to be dishonest and then you are brought into that now, if you're a Christian businessman, you can hire all the non-believers you want to be an example and to show them what it is to be a godly man. But you don't go into partnership with non-believers. You're being unequally yoked. It's straight across the board, ladies and gentlemen. So the test is in your obedience, not just coming to church. Whenever there is an unequal yoke, there's compromise tolerance, and there will be a mixture of truth and error. The believers told, "Love not the world, neither the things are in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you." First John 2:15 through 16. At the start of our study, we said that Pergamus means height or elevation. Through her marriage to the world, it is interesting that it is the same root from which we get our word bigamy and polygamy. It's a compromise. Now, the church of Pergamus had those who held the doctrine of Nicolaitan. Notice verse 15. The word, again, is made up of two words. Nico, which means the conqueror, allows the people. It's a, a conquering of the people. We saw it in the church of Ephesus. It's a hierarchy such as priests, cardinals, bishops, popes. But also in the Protestant way, they're shepherding pastors and elders that want to control people. And you can't make decisions. That I tell you what you should do. and I will tell you what you buy, who you marry. It's it's incredible. I'm amazed what people subject themselves to. The Lord Jesus commended the church of Ephesus because they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which God hates. Now, they have established their doctrine within the church. The church of Pergamos occupies a period of 312 to 600 AD. This is the start of the Roman Catholic Church. Constantine married the church of the world, making her a state church. Everybody is commanded to be a Christian. You can't command people to be Christians. You kill it. Heathen basilicas and temples were turned into Christian churches. Soon, you couldn't tell the difference. They chiseled off the names of the old gods and put there St. Peter, St. Paul. Constantine had regiment of soldiers baptized all at once. He makes anything and everything into the Christian religion. The Christian doctrine. But let me give you some decrees that were issued during the 300-year period of the church history. They're illuminating because this is the beginning of full-blown Catholicism, Three to 600. Listen carefully, 300 A.D., prayer for the dead, 300 A.D., making signs of the cross, 375 A.D., the worship of saints and angels, 394 A.D., mass first instituted, 431 A.D., worship of Mary began, 500 A.D., priests began to dress different. Prior to that, they were just like normal people. 526 A.D., extreme unction, meaning the priest only has the anointing to teach the Word of God. You're just a peon. You don't have anything. Uh, 593 AD, the doctrine of purgatory and was introduced. Now, if you do know, remember, if you know history, Tessel is a big rat that put this doctrine together. They need to get money to build their basilicas and, and their cathedrals. So they devise a, a, a doctrine that if you will give, the minute a coin hits the bottom of the coffer, your loved one is released from purgatory. Indulgences and everything else. Blasphemous. 600 A.D., worship services conducted in Latin. Oh, how how smart that is. You know, we're going to speak over the pulpit so you can't understand us. Great. That's good. 600 A.D., prayer directed to Mary. Had the church resisted and not compromised, the dark ages could have been averted, perhaps. The parable of the mustard seed that grew abnormally with the large birds comes to pass real quickly in the church age, doesn't it? Big buzzards. And the Protestant church is no different. Today there are huge churches and you got big fat buzzer leaders. Their sin was toleration and compromise, mixing truth with error. This was a condemnation to Pergamos. Now look at 16. You have the exhortation. The church is given biblical counsel to get back on track. Ready for it? They were two, one word, repent. Never change, has it? Repent. The word repent means a change of mind about God and what you're doing, how you're living, just as it was for Ephesus in 2.5. The act of repenting has certain characteristics, as we've seen. You acknowledge your sin, you confess your sin, you abandon your sin, and if possible, make restitutions, but it's not always possible, it's not always wise to do so. Okay. But those are the characteristics of repentance. Without that, you have not turned from darkness to light. The church is warned, notice, about the consequence if they do not obey the counsel. There is a responsibility to hearing the warning, the instruction. The Lord would come to them quickly and would fight against them. Notice that. The unfaithful with the sword of, the, of his mouth. Chapter 19, he comes back with the sword of his mouth. The sword is once again the large sword for judgment. The church of Ephesus would merely be remove her lampstand from its place if she did not repent. The Church of Pergamos, Jesus says that unless she repent, then he will fight against her and judge her. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, notice that he says he will come quickly to fight against those who hold these two doctrines. First Peter four seventeen, judgment begins with us, the house of God. And um, Revelation 1.16 makes it clear. Revelation 19.15 gives us the fulfillment of the second coming. Now, notice the warning. To repent is the way of averting judgment. And the consequence is a promise of judgment. The city of Pergamos was under Roman rule. The sword was very relevant to her. Roman governors divided into two classes. Those that they had the he used gladi, the right of the sword, to take life and the spirit, and those who did not. The Lord was the true ruler over every empire in application here. He had the absolute right to exercise judgment and to take life without any danger of making any error. He knows the heart of every person. Caesar worship demanded confession to extremes of death. It began with Augustus, when he allowed the worship of Julius Caesar and of himself, but only of non-citizens, and he died in 14 AD. Culminated this with Domitian in 81 to 96 AD, which was about the time of the writing of the book of Revelation. Domitian was the first to take this, his divinity seriously, And um, demanded Caesar worship. Titus persecuted all who opposed. Especially against the Jews. And Christians. Because prior to this the Jews were exempt. From burning a pinch of incense to Caesar. So they had it made. So that's why the Jews could persecute the Christians. Because they weren't being persecuted by Rome. But at this point. It's come home to bite them now. This was the exhortation. The Pergamos. God's always reaching out to exhort you, exhort me to turn, to get right, to stay right. He doesn't want to judge. The sixth year, verse 17, comes application, which again is the most important year for us today. We make sure we, there must be application. The declaration is an invitation for anyone. Notice. There must be a willingness to listen if you find yourself in such a church condition or the condition of an individual as a Pergamus. If this identifies you, then you need to pay attention. There is a sense of responsibility and accountability at your hearing. There is culpability for every person who does not listen and take the way of repentance. Jesus' famous words: "He was near, let him hear." Here is the Spirit, says to the churches, the representative of Jesus. Jesus says, take heed what you hear and how you hear. Notice the declaration is an invitation to obey what the Spirit says to the churches. To obey. Literally let him accurately and effectively hear. The obedience is not limited to the message to the church of Pergamos, but to all seven messages as we have pointed out in the first two. The word church is again is in the plural like in the others and the spirit is the speaker in the person of Jesus Christ, the comforter, the one to come alongside and to represent Jesus Christ. Notice here the declaration towards the end of 17 is the invitation with promise of reward. The one to receive the reward, one word, overcomer. It is the timeless promise of the one who abides in Christ Jesus, who is an overcomer. First John tells us that. But John fifteen one through six: Abide in me, apart from me you can do nothing. My Father is the husband, and I am the vine. And he says, and then, uh, I'll cut those branches and cast them apart. And then he says, and I'll cut that person out. That doesn't abide and cast them apart. He goes from the branches to an individual. Jesus says that. Okay, so he's not contradicting himself. Our faith is what overcomes the world. First John five four through five: Our faith. That's lived down in obedience to objective truth. The person who will um, be rewarded once again is the individual. But who's the one rewarding? Jesus Christ. I. He's the one that rewards. The Lord will give to some a hidden manna. The hidden manna to eat here. Notice some. Underlying word some. Some will repent in this church system. And not be one with their abominations of practices. The hidden manna is in contrast to eating the things offered to idols with Balaam. Verse 13. You can eat with the Lord and what the Lord gives you or what the world offers you. God gave manna in the wilderness, as you know, until the day they came to the promised land. Exodus 16, 33 and 34. Hebrews 9, twenty-nine four tells us that. And each person had to go out, as you know, and collect a certain amount of manna each day the sixth day they were to grab twice as much so they wouldn't have to go out on the sabbath day to collect but as you know the people grab some more and turned into worms and they would go out again and Moses rebukes them We, we you know we're no different today's the same thing it's the same we just don't like to obey God's word we just somehow think that you know we're the exception and you know God's a little out of date the lesson is that we are to depend on the Lord daily for our bread and And our daily time spending with Him every day. Now notice God commands here Moses to place a pot of manna. Or not here, but He commanded him in the Old Testament. And He places a pot of manna in the Ark of the Covenant. As well as the table of stones of the Ten Commandments. And the psalmist says that manna was grain or bread from heaven. Angels food in Psalms 78, 24-25. Jesus is the bread from heaven that's come down. John chapter 6. He is the bread of life. Now notice, the Lord will give to some a white stone also. The high priest used to know the mind of God through the Urim and the Thummim, if you remember. And we don't know what exactly it was, but he had it in the middle of a ziphon. Some believe it was a black stone and a white stone. We're not sure; just speculation. But it is interesting. The law courts used to use stones to reveal the judgment of man: a black stone, he would be condemned, and a white stone, he would be acquitted. So there's there's relative uh, association here to what he's saying for that day. It was used also for an invitation to a banquet, and the stone will have a new name on it, and it conferred the privilege or the favor for whatever it was that was going on, whether it be for food or or for being a victor at a game or for a gladiator who survived and retired and was given a tessera, indicating he was a proven man of valor. And what a great parallel to the believer who's an overcomer in such a church as they repent, as they remain faithful. It's very relevant here. The word new there is kinos, It doesn't refer to new in time merely, but new in quality. Replacing the old relationship now from being unfaithful to being faithful. From being disobedient to being obedient. From being worldly to being heavenly, spiritual. The color white speaks of righteousness of God, the holiness of God, heaven, newness. The name will be known only to the one who receives the notice. God always likes to change names. Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah, Jacob, Israel, Saul, Paul. <laughs> Changes names. The message to the church of Pergamus is to not become worldly. Tolerating sin in their life. The life of others. Compromising the word of God. The message speaks to a local church and about a local church in John's day the message speaks of a period of history 313 to 600 AD the message speaks of a type of church that will and can exist from Pentecost to the rapture and the message speaks of a type of Christian in every kind of church now you you get to take the test you get to correct your own paper you get to know where you're at if you're here only one word for you Repent. God loves you.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese with an honest look at what it means to be worldly and what God wants in response from his followers. Repentance. And you can request a copy of today's challenging lesson titled The Worldly Church Pergamos. It's available on CD for just $4. And this will also contain everything we covered in our study the last time we were together as well. So the title to ask for once again is The Worldly Church Pergamus, Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then invite a friend to join us for more Simple Truths next time, right here with Pastor Xavier Reese.